John chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. This is God's word, eternally true. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Here ends our reading. There's a response of thankfulness that we have printed uh, in our worship guides and up here as well. The word of the Lord. Thanks, to God. Thanks indeed. Let's pray. It's interesting to be in the presence of somebody that you um, have admired or known about. Uh, I can think of d various different things, but one of the funniest things was uh, my brother, uh, older brother, uh, Mark, lives in um, the Columbus, Ohio area, and um, uh, there's a, a, a fitness festival there that was associated with the Mr. Olympia uh, contest, which is a, a bodybuilding contest that Arnold Schwarzenegger won maybe five times, maybe six uh, I recently, this past year, uh, I, I learned that Arnold Schwarzenegger had an autobiography, and so I asked for it for last Christmas, and one of my daughters got that for me, and so I've been reading that this year about Arnold and uh, all, all that he has to say, and so it's very interesting, but he talks about starting that um, uh, fitness festival there, and so my brother um, lifts weights, and so he went to that that uh, festival uh, there a few years ago, and um he was there in Columbus and, and got on the elevator and he looked up and there was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, and so, sorry, I've got, I've got a couple things mixed up. So don't, don't tell anybody. But he looked up, actually it was, it was somebody else. So I got on the elevator and one of my friends got on the elevator and saw, saw Arnold Schwarzenegger and um, looked up and was completely stunned. And all he could think to say was, uh, hey, hey, Arnold. <laughs> and Arnold said, of course, hey. <laughs> but it's interesting, you know, when we're in the presence of somebody grand or great. Actually, the, the story about my brother that he saw Sylvester Stallone. And he, in the, uh, I have two elevator stories. My brother saw Sylvester Stallone, looked up and he said, hey, Rocky. <laughs> But that's what Jesus talks about here. And that's what this woman at the well was interested in when she asked about where where to worship. Uh, she was a Samaritan and Samaritans worshipped at Mount Gerizim, which was in northern Israel. And, and the Jews proper 
uh, worshipped in Jerusalem, which was the traditional site of worship uh, from the time of the Old Testament. Uh, but but Jesus answered this, this question for this woman by saying that that pretty soon, as he puts it here, a time is coming and has now come. And for this, for us, this time has now come when people won't worship in Jerusalem or at Mount Gerizim anymore, but they'll worship in spirit and truth. And what in the world does that mean? And I have a little confession here for uh, you engineers. I didn't know what an engineer was until I was a uh, sophomore in college. Uh, prior to that, I thought an engineer was somebody who ran a train and wore the, the striped hat. I was talking to somebody outside of my physics classroom, and he was explaining to me that he was in a 3-2 program and going to go to Columbia for the next two years to finish off his engineering degree. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> um, but, but we can look at something like worship in spirit and truth and say, what's that? That sounds kind of funny, kind of mysterious. And so we looked at the worship and truth part last week about that. That's worshiping the true God, the one who is truly God. That's worshiping a truth. That's not worshiping a, a false God, which would be to worship falsely, um, which would also be to choose poorly. Right? Um, but today, this morning we look at uh, what it means to worship um, Worship in the spirit to have true worship in this true in this true faith. And so if you'd like to fill up blanks in an outline, you're welcome to do that. I can help you follow along. If you want to just listen, that's fine, too. But if you're filling out blanks in the outline that you have there before you, here we go. Our introduction, God says to us overall here, first of all, because you're in the church, because you are in the church, you have true religion. That's what we talked about last week. You have true religion because you're in the church and the, the, the religion of the church, the faith of the church is the same faith that's been around since man was created. Um, since the first human beings, Adam and Eve. Uh, but not only do you have true worship last week, as we talked about, uh, uh, but uh, sorry, true religion, but also this week you have true worship. That's what we're talking about this morning. That you have, because you're in the church, you have an experience, true worship. And both of these center on and are enabled by having Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, if you don't have faith in him, then you don't have either. You don't have true religion. You don't have true worship. Okay, so on to this, the idea of true worship. Number one, God says to you, be glad and confident. That's what John wanted for his readers when he wrote this. He wanted for them to be glad and confident in Christianity. Uh, remember, these are, these are Jewish people he's writing to who have believed in Jesus. So they're Christians from a Jewish background. And they had reason for not being confident in their Christian faith because they had all these people that they knew who were Jews who were saying, we're the religion that comes from Adam. We're the true, all other religions are false and you're in a different religion than the Jewish religion now. And so your religion is false. You're not worshiping truly. And you're not worshiping as you're in your various churches all over localized in Turkey and Italy and various places and in, in the old promised land and down in Egypt, wherever the, these Jews in these various places were not 
going to Jerusalem anymore to worship. And so there was little insecurity there, perhaps, that John is addressing here and giving this idea, giving uh, these people and giving us confidence that we can be glad and confident in our Christian faith. We can be glad and confident in Christianity because our religion, our faith is the one in which not only are you worshiping the God who is really God, the true God, um, the God who really exists, but you also also worship God where he is present. You also worship God as a Christian in the church. You worship God where he is present by his spirit. You worship God where he is present by his spirit, which is what Jesus is getting at in verses 23 and 24. Now, what does that mean? Well, God is everywhere. God's omnipresent, as we say. But all through scripture, even though the Old Testament says this is, is true as well, that God is present everywhere, God speaks of himself as being especially present in blessing with his people. And that's what we're talking about here. You as a Christian worship in the church at the place where God is especially present with his people to bless them, to be with them in the sense of comforting them, strengthening them. So God is everywhere, but his blessing presence is only with his people and his blessing presence is with his people by his spirit. Um, God is really with and really present in and among his people. God is really present in and among his people. So it's you and he is here and you worship in his presence. When you come to worship, you come and he is present and you are worshiping him, even though you can't see him. He is here. He is here. Um, he sees and he hears your worship, even though we cannot see him. Um, this is a big point in the, the book of Hebrews, isn't it? Uh, Hebrews writing to Hebrew people, Jewish people who have believed in Jesus and you get to chapter 11, right? What's chapter 11 about? Having faith. Believing things that you can't see. And so the writer of Hebrews says, you know, through the book, you need to believe in a temple that you can't see. Because the true tabernacle is in heaven. You need, as a Jewish person who's believed in Jesus, you need to believe in a priest. A great high priest that you cannot see. Because he's in heaven. You need to believe in a, a tabernacle that you can't see. You need to believe in a promised land you can't see. You need to believe in a prophet that you can't see. One greater than Moses. Um, you need to believe in a sacrifice that you can't put your hands on and put your, put your hands on to put on the head of the sacrifice that you can't see slaughtered. And maybe probably as you're a Christian here in the latter part of the first century, you, did, you weren't there in Jerusalem on that day in Jerusalem to see your sacrificed sacrifice sacrificed for you up on a cross. So we as Christians are people from the first century after the apostles and those who heard Jesus teach after they leave. We're people who believe in things that we cannot see. And one of the things we believe in as Christians that we cannot see is that we worship in the presence of God. When we gather here, he is here, especially present, and we're worshiping him, and he's here 
no less than if he were sitting in a chair right here and we could look at him all service. Okay? So A, A, 1A. To worship at the place, to worship at the place where God is present by his spirit. By worshiping or to worship at the place where God is present by his spirit is the meaning of worshiping in or with or by his spirit. That's what Jesus is talking about. No longer will my spirit be just in Jerusalem or as you mistakenly think, Samaritans think that it might have been in Gerizim. But now you as a Christian can worship where I am, my blessing presence, because my spirit will be with you, whether you're in, in Rome or Constantinople or Troas or Ephesus or Philippi, wherever you may be, my spirit is there. So Jesus says, the time is coming and has now come. And when he was still living, that was now coming. He hadn't yet sent his spirit as John comments later in chapter 7. But it would be true from Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 on. That time that was, that was coming has now reached us from Acts chapter 2, A.D. 30 onward. We're in this era where we worship in God's presence and we're not like going to a, a particular city on the face of the earth. We're worshiping in spirit. Um, Philippians 3.3 Paul identifies Christians in distinction from non-Christians in this way. Here's what he says in Philippians 3.3. 3. For it is we, we read it in our, declar or, yeah, our declaration of the gospel, no, our call to worship responsibly. Philippians 3.3. 3. Um, it is we who are the circumcision. See, the, see the, the Jewish Gentile thing going on there, the Christian, non-Christian thing. It is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by or with or in the Spirit of God who glory in Christ Jesus. Paul makes this point. We worship in the Spirit. We worship by the Spirit of God. We who glory in Christ Jesus. And if someone's not glorying in Christ Jesus, if someone's not excited about Jesus, if they're not there to worship Jesus, if they're worshiping only God generally, like the Jews, um, or Allah, or some other God and some other religion, they're not worshiping in the Spirit. So that's Philippians 3.3. 3. So firstly, worshiping in, with, or by the Spirit, Paul writes, is something that all Christians do. Okay? Note that. Philippians 3.3 3 says that you, we, who are the circumcision, we who glory in Christ Jesus, worship in the Spirit. We worship by the Spirit. It's kind of like he, you know, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It's not just a select few Christians who are baptized by the Spirit. He says to the Corinthian congregation, we've all been baptized by the Spirit. And he says right there in chapter 12 that not all of them spoke in tongues, not all of them prophesied. So even if you're taking it that kind of way, like a modern day charismatic person, you can't take it that way. Because Paul has said those in the Corinthian congregation who don't speak in tongues, who don't prophesy, who don't you know, do miracles and that kind of thing, that they were baptized in the Spirit too. And the same thing we have in parallel in Philippians 3.3. 3. Those who worship in the Spirit are all Christians. Anyone who glories in Christ Jesus has been baptized by the Spirit and worships in the Spirit. 
Now, two asides. One, you note here that I've been saying in, with, or by. That's because there's a little word that's used in the New Testament. It's, it's uh, eta nu, it's, it's en. And it's the, the Greeks were used the same word for in, with, and by. We have three words for it. They had one. And so you can, you can translate uh, here in John 4. Jesus said worship. He could have said we could translate it into English. Worship by the Spirit. Worship with the Spirit. Or worship in the Spirit. And in Philippians 3.3, 3, same thing. Paul says, we who worship in, with, or by the Spirit. Okay, so it's the same phraseology that Paul used in Philippians 3.3 3, that Jesus used, the same exact words the two, the two are using. Um, so that's one aside there. Uh, in, with, and by is the same thing. So there, there's equivalency in the three words, worship in spirit, between John 4 and Philippians 3.3. 3. Um, uh, second thing, um, if you take this, if you've been involved in a, a, a charismatic or Pentecostal church, you know that worshiping in the spirit is defined differently. It's defined as like worshiping while you're speaking in tongues and, and hearing like word of knowledge and all this kind of stuff. If you've had any exposure uh, to the to the charismatic church, you know that. But I want you to recognize how vastly out of context this would be with this woman. How that would make no sense to her. What's as my dad would say, whatsoever. <laughs> She's just asked the question, where do I worship Jesus? And that would mean to say he's not answering the question. That he's saying, where, where should I worship Jesus? In Gerizim or in Jerusalem? And that would be to say Jesus' answer is, one day you'll worship speaking in tongues. Okay, great. But where should I worship Jesus? <laughs> she doesn't ask the question again. He's not answering. He's answering her question. He's not talking on a completely different subject. And so if we take today that Jesus is saying worshiping a day will come when you'll worship in spirit and truth now all through the gospel John to remind you he's saying I am the truth the way the truth and the life he's always making that thing that he is the truth so we understand worshiping in the truth means we're worshiping him worshiping in the spirit means all this stuff that John deals with all through his gospel John is the, the gospel of the Holy Spirit Luke is second in terms of mentioning the Holy Spirit. But John, far and above the, the Holy Spirit. And, and John the Baptist has already said for us in John 1, I baptize with water, but he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's the context of this. That, that believers, and we look forward to uh, Acts chapter 2, that believers would have dwelling in them the Holy Spirit. And that would be in distinction from Jewish people, from Roman pagan religion people during that day, and in distinction today from all kinds of other all kinds of other religions. Um, so we don't want to uh, read some modern interpretation from the 20th century, speaking in tongues and such. When when uh, down in San Francisco they start speaking about that, you know that, that's not an ancient thing. Um, that we don't want to read that into Jesus' words here um, to say that uh, Jesus was talking about something that the Old Testament had not already defined. You know, here's, here's your interpretive guide. 
When you read something in the New Testament that's like, that's weird, there's a definition in the Old Testament for it. <laughs> and once you get that definition from the Old Testament, it won't be weird anymore. And so there are a lot of things in the New Testament that just get brought out, especially when they're brought out to Jews, that don't get explained. For instance, Jesus says, hear the good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he never defines the kingdom. Why not? Because that was so thoroughly defined in the Old Testament. They all knew what that meant when he said that to Jews. And that's who Jesus was talking to when he was speaking live. They all understood this means David reigning over God's covenant people. And that if a, David, a Davidic king is reigning over God's covenant people, they're secure. That's why it was good news. The temple would be up and running. We could get our sins forgiven through the animal sacrifices. Good news. Um, so he doesn't define it. He just says it. And here as well, worshiping in spirit. So Old Testament definition is where we're going to need to look there. The Old Testament definition had already defined the idea of worshiping God in the place where God was by his spirit, where he was present, especially to bless his people in spirit. God had spoken about that a lot. And if you weren't going to the bathroom while Jim was reading the, the scripture readings, um, we read about that. And just a sliver of the number of times that that's talked about um, in the Old Testament. Um, God was present with his people in a place in the Old Testament. Uh, and that is right in line with the woman's question. Where's the spirit of God now? so that I can go where God is present and worship him. Is it in Jerusalem or is it out Mount Gerizim? I want to go where God hears me, where he's present. I want to go where I can be blessed when I'm worshiping. And so tell me, where should I go? And I know, Jesus, that when the Messiah, who's called Christ, comes, he'll explain that to us. And so Jesus explains it right here. There's a time coming that we now live in where we won't have to go to Jerusalem or Gerizim or to Washington, D.C. or to a particular city because his spirit, he will send. Like we saw in our, our uh, um, preparing for worshiping or for uh, um, hearing the word of God. Our John, uh, John 15, John 16 passage there, 1526 and 1626. That Jesus would send his spirit to all believers to dwell in them in this great, great blessing. Um, so the woman gets an answer to her question from Jesus. He says, woman, you won't need to worry about that and answer that question very much longer, whether it's Jerusalem or Gerizim. Pretty soon that question is going to be obsolete. It's going to be neither. And that's Jesus' answer, neither or neither. Um, so let's see how worshiping in the spirit is Worshiping in the presence of God's spirit as we follow along this idea from the Old Testament. Um, B, B in your outline. In the Old Testament, God's spirit, in the Old Testament, God's spirit was present in his temple in Jerusalem. So in the Old Testament, we see this over and over again. God's spirit was present in his temple in Jerusalem. So we can see that in Leviticus 16, 2, that God's spirit was present. And so he tells Aaron and tells Aaron to tell his sons too, don't come into the most holy place where I dwell, where my spirit is at any time you want. I'm going to give you one day a year, the day of atonement, where just the high priest can come in. He can enter into my presence because if he comes in any old day, 
I'm there and he will perish. I'm going to give him one day where he can come into my presence and be blessed and be blessed for the people as well. So that's Leviticus 16.2. We see the end of uh, Exodus uh, 40 with the tent of meeting. Okay, The temple has been constructed for Moses uh, according to Moses' uh, uh, prescription, which he had been given by the Lord. And God shows up in a cloud. His glory is there, the Holy Spirit. Um, or as, as God says in the book of Numbers, you know, Moses sees my form because Moses came in and he saw the Lord uh, dwelling, his spirit in some way. He saw you know, this cloud uh, above the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place or the Holy of Holies. Um, and that cloud is God's spirit present in his temple. Um, and then Sol- when Solomon builds the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, God shows up again and the cloud fills now the uh, Holy of Holies, the most holy place in this permanent tabernacle, which we call the temple, um, and uh, shows up uh, so much and in such abundance that the priest can't go in, can't go in for a while. Um, so Leviticus 16.2, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, that's the ark of the covenant, or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. So God appeared, he was present. And that was to deal with the tabernacle and the temple. When the people were traveling around in the, in the wilderness for 40 years, the cloud was then above in a pillar form during the day, right above there coming up from the Holy of Holies, coming up from the Ark of the Covenant. And at night, he turned that pillar of cloud into into fire, which we see symbolized in Pentecost when God gives his spirit to the believers there. Uh, Exodus 40, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Um, So there was a place on earth where God dwelled in a special way to bless his people, where his glory was. And so um, they're called uh, they are called to worship. God's people are called to worship there. So in the Old Testament, see, see in your outline, because God's spirit was present in the temple, God's people were commanded to go there to worship. So we saw and Jim read for us Leviticus 17. Um, Leviticus 17, it says God's transitioning his people out of pre-tabernacle days where he could be like Abraham and just build an altar and offer a sacrifice to God. You could be like Job and build an altar and say, you know, my kids, I'm not sure about them. I'm going to offer some sacrifices for them. But wherever you were, Jacob, he's up in Bethel, he builds an altar and he sacrifices to the Lord. But once the tabernacle is built, God says, you can't offer a sacrifice anywhere but here in my presence. In other words, you can't worship anywhere that is worship in this formal sense, anywhere but here in my presence. And if you offer a sacrifice just outside the, the, the camp, outside the tabernacle, just anywhere through all Israel where you are and not in front of my presence at the tent of meeting, then I hold you guilty for bloodshed. You're just killing that animal cruelly because it's not a sacrifice unless you sacrifice it 
in my presence in front of the tent of meeting. Okay. Um, so there's this idea in the Old Testament, well built into the Old Testament, that you only offer your worship, your sacrifice in the Lord's presence where the Lord dwelled among his people there in the Holy, Holy of Holies. And so you came as close to that as you could get outside of the tent of meeting and you met there with the priest and you sacrificed that animal. You offered worship to God there, but not anywhere. You had to be in God's presence to offer that sacrifice or it didn't count and you built guilt upon yourself, right? So see how that works today, just real quickly. If you're worshiping some other God, if you're outside the church, you're not in the presence of the one true God and you're held guilty for offering worship that's not really worship, that's false worship because it's worship that's not in his presence. You get that, how the, the you know, there we go, Bill. How the Old Testament just fits. You know, it adds all this definition and understanding to us. Bill and I were talking about that on the couch, yes. <laughs> At our Christmas party last night. But but the Old Testament defined it, it gives us all this wonderful meaning about this. And so when you come in here to worship, God is here. It's like get this picture in your head. You've stepped into the temple. You come in through the temple courts, which is a restaurant out there. And you walk through a couple of doors and some double doors and through some bowling alley lanes there. But when you come into this place, you've come to where God dwells, especially among his people in his presence. And it's as if you walked through the entry to the courtyard of the tabernacle, walked across that courtyard and up to the edge, the very door of the tent of meeting, that rectangle. Uh, to the altar burnt offering that was in front of that rectangle where God was present. And you become close to him. You got close to him. And in his presence, you offer him your worship. And often what was offered was a whole burnt offering, which basically everything was given to the Lord. Um, nobody ate anything. You know, it was just all given to the Lord. And he basically said to the Lord, I owe you everything. And you say that in the Lord's presence as a Jew. You say, I owe you everything. And, and when you brought a sin offering, you said, I only can get forgiveness for my sins from you. And you said that in the Lord's presence as he was there just beyond two curtains in front of you, two pieces of canvas in front of you, one into the tent of meeting, one in, or into the holy place and one into the holy of holies. And you said that in his presence. And that's what we come in here to say. We say, God, you are present. And I come here to say, I can only have forgiveness from you. You can't do that if you're not in the church. Allah doesn't offer forgiveness. Buddhism doesn't offer forgiveness. Uh, you know, all these other religions are false. And they're not in God's presence and not saying this to him. They're not saying, I owe you my life. And that's what we come in. When we come to worship, we come into God's presence and we offer that worship in his presence. We worship in, with, by the spirit of God who dwells among us and he hears us and he sees us and he accepts our worship. Unlike Leviticus 17, if you just offered your worship someplace else outside the church where Jesus is not acknowledged to be God and the Son of God. Okay. Um, so, um, Jews in Jesus' day, D, 
Jews in Jesus' day and after were thus going to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. Um, that was the question in verse 20, Gerizim or, or Jerusalem. And Hebrews uh, 4 through 10 convinces Jewish Christians not to do that anymore. God is not present uh, there. Um, and so E, um, with Jesus' departure, that's your blank there, with Jesus' departure, God's Spirit, the living water, was not present in the temple anymore. He left. Um, verse 21, the answer of Jesus is, it's not Gerizim nor Jerusalem where you will find God present and your worship acceptable. From now on, worship is not acceptable in Jerusalem, unless you're a Christian worshiping in the Christian church there. But in the temple, nope, not there in, in my blessing. Um, uh, not there in my blessing and, and worship offered in the temple will not be accepted anymore. Um, we learn this from Jesus. Uh, uh, he told the unbelieving Jews in the temple in Luke 13, 35. Listen to this in this context of the presence of God. Jesus says, look, your house, the temple. That's what he tells the Pharisees, your house, the temple. Um, your house is left to you desolate, empty. The spirit is departing because I'm leaving for the last time. When I go out these doors, I will not be present in this place and blessing ever again. So that's Luke 13, 35. Look at your house. Your temple is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when Jesus left the temple there in Jerusalem that final time, it was left desolate, devoid of him, God in the flesh, and devoid of the spirit who had been the continual presence of God from the tabernacle and temple's founding for the 1,450 years from the time of Moses' day to the time of Jesus, minus that 70 years when they had neither temple nor tabernacle. So then when Jesus died on the cross, what happens? The curtain of the Holy of Holies is torn in two. What's the message there? No longer does this place, this square, this Holy of Holies need to be shielded from the people. No longer did Aaron the priest have to worry about only entering in God's presence once per year because now it's no longer a sacred place. God himself divinely cuts the temple, cuts the, uh, the curtain going into the Holy of Holies through which the high priest entered once a year on the Day of Atonement. God splits that in two and declares this place is no longer sacred because I am no longer here. Anyone can enter into this square and they will not die. On any day of the year, they can enter in here and they will not die because I am not here anymore. That's what God does when Jesus, when Jesus dies. Um, curtain of the temple is torn in two. That's Luke 23, 45. So F. God's spirit instead, as Jesus uh, gets at here, is in a new temple, which is the church. God's spirit now instead, this time that has come, this God's spirit is in a new temple, which is in the church. First Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? You yourselves are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives in you. 
Spirit of God is no longer in that temple in Jerusalem. The Spirit of God lives in you because you are God's temple. Ephesians 2.22, which Jim read for us this morning, it says, And in Christ you too are being, T-O-O, you also are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. You see the temple language there. The church, you, are the dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Not the temple in Jerusalem. Not what you know the temple that had been in Gerizim. So the church is the temple in which the in which is the Spirit of God. In contrast to Old Testament days when the Spirit of God dwelled in the Holy of Holies in the temple in the tabernacle. So number one there, F1. Jesus has given living water, that is the Holy Spirit, to the church. So we spoke of in verse 10 and 14 here, uh, what he and John spoke of in John 7, 37 through 39, uh, what Jesus spoke of in John 15, 26, uh, which was our, our, our preparing to hear God's word, where Jesus says, I will send my spirit. Um, and then in Acts 2, where we see Jesus sending his spirit to the believers gathered um, with Peter and the apostles. And they, they uh, have flames of flames of fire on them, like the pillar of fire. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament's um, uh, revealing was that pillar of fire. And they have these pillars of fire or tongues of fire upon, upon their heads, as opposed to that being upon the Holy of Holies, extending from there. Okay, so Jesus has given living water, the Holy Spirit, to the church. And number two, those who are Christians have the Holy Spirit within them. Paul says this is true of the individual Christian as well. First Corinthians 6, 19, he says, not, you're not your own. Don't you know that the Holy Spirit lives in you as an individual? The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And then three, additionally, number three, additionally, as Christians come together and worship, God is present and blessing there in those gatherings in the church by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit in his temple, which is the church. So God dwells in you as an individual Christian are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But as we come together, we've got all these little temples of the Holy Spirit who come together. And then collectively, for that's kind of the distinction between 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 1 Corinthians 3.16. Uh, the, the 6.19 is talking about you as an individual Christian should not sin because you bring Jesus, the Holy Spirit, into that sin with you. Um, speaking specifically about sin with prostitutes in that passage there, 1 Corinthians 6.19. Uh, but then to the whole church, he says, you as a group, as a collective, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, so we come together and we're this temple where God's Spirit dwells. We worship in the Spirit. We're the, the high priest who's come in through the temple, through the curtain, as the writer of Hebrews says, to be in the presence, the blessing presence of God himself as we gather together for worship. Now, G, realize when you gather with the church that in Christianity, we do not come together to discuss a set of religious facts. We don't come together to discuss a set of religious facts and to do religious rituals to a God who is not there. 
We're not here having a discussion about our religion. It's not what's going on. But we give, we give worship. That's your next blank. We give worship to a God who is present among us. We're like that priest who comes in with the offering on the Day of Atonement, who enters into the Holy of Holies in front of God's presence as he was present above the atonement cover of the Ark of the, uh, the, Ark of the Covenant. So when we gather with the church, here are your blanks. When we gather with the church in Christianity, we come together not to discuss a set of religious facts and do religious rituals. To a God who is not there, that's a description of other religions. But we give worship to a God who is present among us by his spirit and receiving our worship here and hearing it here and seeing it. He's receiving our worship. So H, be encouraged, be encouraged, be encouraged. When you come to church for worship, you come to the place God is present. You've gotten your answer. It's not Mount Gerizim. It's not Mount Zion or Jerusalem, but there is a place you come. You come to the church, wherever the church is meeting, in whatever city or town you are, where his people come together and you, and you worship. So be encouraged. When you're coming to worship, you come to the place where God is present. This isn't just a discussion about religious things. Um, this isn't a, a place where God is absent but he's asked us to do rituals in his absence. But God is here and we gather to him and he hears us and he sees us and he accepts our, our worship. Um, so next blank for you there. No other religion can say this. We have the true religion, the true faith. And in the true faith, one thing that is true in the true faith, just like it was true in Old Testament times that people came to the temple and they came to the place where God was present by his spirit. We, as the temple of God, the church, come to the place where God is present by his spirit and blesses his people as we offer our worship to him as we gather on Sunday mornings. This is a significant thing that we do as we gather together. This is why we prioritize it. This is why we have that, that rule of thumb. If I'd go to work, I'd come to worship. If I'm too infectious to go to worship, <laughs> to, to worship, then I stay home. And, and I would say the same thing. I would be too infectious to go to work. But if I'd go to work or do anything else, if I'd expose anyone, if I'm, if I haven't slept all night, but I got work, if I haven't slept all night, but I've got class and I go to class or I go to work without a full night's sleep, I come to worship too. Worship is not less important than other things that you do. Worship is more important than things that you do. If you might stay home from work because you weren't quite feeling up to it, you go to worship anyway because God is present. And we meet Him and we offer our worship and He hears it and He accepts it. So be encouraged. What we do here in the mornings on Sundays is significant. It's the most significant thing we do every week. So summary, summary. As Christians, when we come together and worship, we do something no other religion does. As we spoke of last week, we worship truly. 
we worship the real God, the God who is, the God who exists, the right God, the only God. As God says throughout the Old Testament, I quit counting at one point, where it says that they may know that I am God and there is no other. God's got a big thing for that, that we see in the Old Testament, that his own people and that other peoples would know that he is God and that there is no other. And so that's what we do. We come together, we worship the one true God who really exists. And so it's true faith. We worship in truth. But religions that don't worship Jesus are worshiping falsely a false God. So they don't have this true religion. They have left the true God out of their worship. Beyond this, as we've seen today, we see from Jesus here in this passage that you, as a Christian, here comes your, here come your blanks, here comes the sentence. <laughs> as a Christian, you worship God in spirit. You worship God in his presence. That, that's what we're saying. You have his spirit and you're worshiping. And as the gathered community, God is present here by his spirit and you're worshiping in his special blessing presence that he attends our worship, our gathering with. So you worship God in his presence, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is there or here and here now. Who is there seeing, hearing, and receiving your offering of worship to him. It's like you're an Old Testament Jew and you've arrived with your sheep. Your offering of worship to him. I'm here. Um, as John Calvin would say, here's my heart. That's our approach when we come to worship. We say, here's my heart. Um, so be encouraged. Last line there. Be encouraged for your worship is seen. Your worship is seen. It's heard because he's present by his spirit. But also from last week, your worship is right. You're worshiping the only God. Let's pray.